want to talk to you tonight, um, I hope briefly, I know you do too, so um, why the sudden hatred for the Jews? I want to talk about that tonight. Um, tonight, what I, what I would like to do tonight, and I want you to read with me in your Bibles, I'm only going to read a few passages, but particularly Isaiah 43 and 44. And so I'm going to I'm going to jump through a lot of the verses in chapter 43 and then I'm just going to minister some things that I believe are clearly shown in the word of God and what I would desire to do at the conclusion is that we could gather in this altar and just really pray for Israel that we could pray about the the growing anti-semitism that is happening all over the world and we can pray for Israel. We can pray for the wisdom of Israel's leadership during this ceasefire uh, agreement that they're having that I'm understanding Hamas is not honoring too well. Um, but with the, with the effort to get hostages released, it would be wonderful if we could gather in this altar and pray for Israel. I would also, when I say that, I do not want to overlook um, Hamas and the Muslims that are all in this area as well. The Arabs that are in this area, they all need salvation. The Jews need salvation. They're not followers of Jesus and they need to be saved. The Muslims need to be saved. The Arabs, the Coptic Christians, the Catholics, whatever they are, they need to be saved. We, so when I say that, pray for Israel. I, I mean the people of God specifically, but I also mean the region and all of the people that are in it, that we could just really pray for a move of God. <clears throat> One of the things we know is that God said he is sanctifying his name among the nations. And so he is jealous for his name. And so in Isaiah 43, as we jump in the, into this tonight, verse one, it says, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. He that formed thee, O Israel. And I, I just, I want this to stand out to you that God has a unique relationship with this country. God claims to be the one who brought this nation into being. That's very important. Now, I believe God has his hand on any nation that comes into being. Um, and I believe the scriptures affirm that. But God is singling out Israel in a very special way, in a very unique way. He says to, for them to not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. God makes that very clear. Though all of the nations of the earth will be under God's rule and God's sovereignty and submission. Certainly there are those nations that were not classified as God's people. Um, but God uniquely says to Israel that you are mine. I created you. I formed you. And so he is denoting of himself this di divine possession of this nature, of this nation. God then goes through these following verses declaring how he will uniquely preserve them through particular afflictions that they are going to face in their history. He talks about the passing through the waters, how he will be with them. He talks about them going through the rivers. He talks about them passing through the fire and they would not be burned and the flame would not kindle upon them. And the reason that they will not suffer these things is because he is the Lord, your God, their God. He is the Lord, your God, and he is the Holy One of Israel. And he is their savior and he gave Egypt for their ransom and Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And he talks about how precious they were in his sight and how much he's loved them. 
And he says again in verse 5, not to be afraid. I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. He wants his sons to come and his daughters that are even at the ends of the earth. And everyone in verse 7 that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. And now we see that not only is Israel a nation by the power of God, created by God, informed by God, loved by God, called his own people by God himself, but now God is attaching the nation of Israel to his own glory. This is very important. I think it's important for us to understand right now because not only do we see a rise in anti-Semitism in our nation and around the world, but we are seeing it in the Christian worldview as well. It is on the rise and the increase. And I, as your pastor, I desire to give you biblical grounding so that you will not be tossed by opinions and winds of doctrine. And you can stand in the word of God. God has attached his, his glory to the nation of Israel. We will also see that he's attached his name to the nation of Israel and he's jealous for his name. And so he says again, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. As he goes through this, he says in verse 10 that I want you to recognize. Speaking specifically to the nation of Israel, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord. This isn't a generic claim to just anybody. This is a specific claim to the nation of Israel. Specifically, Jacob and the people that have come from the patriarchs. God is saying of them, you are my witnesses. And he says, my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed that there was no strange God among you, or when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yes, before the day was, I am. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work. Who will stop me? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer. Now he is the Redeemer of Israel. He's their creator. He formed them. He loved them. He called them uniquely his own. He attached his glory to them. He promised them miraculous deliverance through everything that they would face. And now he is proclaiming himself as the redeemer of Israel. God is building upon this covenant relationship with this specific people. And so again, verse 14, thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel. This is very important, your king. That is very, very important in, under, in, in, in order to understand the type of relationship that God has with Israel, his glory that he's attaching to it, 
his divine influence and power and protection to it. And now not only does God proclaim this nation to be his because he formed it, he pronounces himself to be the king of this nation. Therefore, the destruction of Israel would be the destruction of her king. The annihilation of Israel would be the annihilation of her king. Her defeat, unless it was by the judgmental hand of the king, would mean the defeat of the king. But every act of what seems to be the despair of Israel was not the sovereign act of nations. But it was the sovereign judgment of Israel's king who said to Israel that if you turn from me and worship other gods, I will scatter you into the nations. And so what we have witnessed over history with the nation of Israel, her often bondages and her captivity and her dispersion among the nations... It's not because Israel's king was weak, but it was because Israel's king was indeed the very one causing this to happen. And that this king would redeem his nation back to himself. And this nation would continue as a nation forever. Or the king would be the failure. Do you understand? The king has the responsibility Of the provision, the protection, and the prolonging of the nation. And the nation's failure is a direct result of the nation's king. And this king cannot fail. And he declares himself as the king. And he gives these wonderful promises again. He says in verse 21, This people I formed for myself, they will show forth my praise. And then, if you will, he comes to the end in verse 25 and says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father hath sinned. And thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore, I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. The king did that. Not the sovereign actions of nations, but the king. But he says that he is their redeemer and he is going to blot their sins out. And he is going to remove their transgressions. This is the promise of redemption And the promise of forgiveness. In chapter 44 of Isaiah. Verse 6 if you will. Thus saith the Lord. And here it is again. The king of Israel. And his redeemer. The Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. And who is I. Shall call and shall declare it. And set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. 
And he talks about how vain are the people who create for themselves gods that can do absolutely nothing for them. So not only was Israel in her prosperity a witness of the goodness of her king as they honored the king, but Israel in the times of her cursing was also a witness of the king because it was through him and by his sovereign will that Israel was going through these things. And God, in his own way and through his own ability, as he says through the prophet Ezekiel, will sanctify his name among the nations for his own sake. And he said to Israel, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me, for my sake, for my name's sake, because I'm jealous for my name. Because everywhere you went, Israel, you profaned my name. You caused people to mock me and to blaspheme me, but I'm going to do something in the earth that sanctifies or sets my name apart as holy. God's going to do it. He's going to do it for his own sake. And I, I believe this is extremely important for us to understand. If I was to consider the sudden hatred for the Jews, I would have to conclude and, and say this to you, that there is the challenge because of what God has confessed, there is the challenge, the specific target, if you will, of all satanic principalities and powers to devastate the people of Israel and thus bring mockery to the God of Israel. To annihilate the, the kingdom is to destroy the king. Therefore, because God pronounces himself to be the king of Israel, Israel, listen to me, Israel must be immortal. Israel must forever throughout eternity must continue. Because God has attached his glory and his kingship to this one specific people. They're not irrelevant. They're not a thing of the past, and the church of Jesus Christ has not come in and taken the place of the nation of Israel. Israel remains before God as a chosen and elect nation that he has many eternal covenants with. And I'm going to go through a few of those tonight. So that you can rest assured, and I don't care about your opinion as I hope you don't care about mine. The truth is the truth. And so when we look in the word of God at God's truth, then that is what we have to build our life upon. And so when we come to this, I believe one of the great surges of anti-Semitism today is really not new for today. I believe that whenever there would be the allowance of God, there would be an overwhelming sense of anti-Semitism all over the world. I believe it is God who restrains that devil from trying to manipulate the emotions and the minds and the behaviors of the people until it's the proper time. God allows this to happen. The spirit of Antichrist has been at work in the earth since the Garden of Eden. We have seen a very clear portrayal of the spirit of Antichrist as early as Genesis chapter 11 when this demon spirit 
had the world as one, speaking one language, living in one community, and desiring to build itself a tremendous city and tower reaching up into the heavens so that God would even say, whatever this people imagines, they will be able to do. And God coming in, confusing the people, scattering them throughout the globe because it was not time for the one world action. Israel still hasn't even been really burst at this point. There's a lot that needs to be done. So God intervenes and he causes the confusion. And what Satan was trying to bring about, God hindered him. And we've seen many things like this throughout history. One of the most clear things we've seen is Nazi Germany and Hitler. And their effort to exterminate the Jewish people and to take over the world. But God intervened in that as well. And God prevented that because the Antichrist was not the, or or Hitler was not the Antichrist. And Germany was not to be that one nation who would dominate the world. That would be a revived Roman Empire headed up by the Antichrist, the man of sin, who is still yet to come. And so God intervened and did not allow it to happen. We could very possibly have entered into the last moments of this time. Perhaps there are things underway now with this global anti-Semitism. Perhaps God will not stop it. Perhaps this is the moment. Perhaps this is the time. Because it is a time, and I would say in most of our lifetimes, like we've never seen before. It is shocking to most of us. And very few of us were alive during Nazi Germany. And it is shocking to us how quickly we have not forgotten history, but despised history. And the people that would even associate the Jews as Nazis today is one of the most absurd accusations that I think that I could hear. But this world gets more and more absurd that very little is shocking me at all. Or surprising me. And just beware. That the real danger is what they're not showing you. And what they're not telling you. And if what they allow us to see and hear is bad. It's not the worst. They hide that from us. They use it to prepare us. To disillusion us for what they intend to bring upon us. The moment that God said, Israel is mine, my glory is attached to Israel, I am Israel's redeemer, and I am Israel's king, all out war from satanic powers was waged against Israel and has relentlessly tried to wage that war and bring about Israel's extermination. You hear this in the news today from some of the leading politicians And world leaders, I'm grateful that it seems to be that the only nation in the world that seems to have any courage today to stand up for Israel and anti-Semitism is Germany. I applaud them for that. They're affecting some of the countries in the EU to be able to act appropriately as well. Defunding other groups that are becoming more anti-Semitic. I applaud that. Our country's not. 
I would pray that we would put the pressure on our politicians. This is a representative government, and we should be letting our voices be heard everywhere we can for our politicians to do the right thing. We can't blame them if they do the wrong thing if we never demanded them to do the right thing. Their actions that are misappropriate are not worse than our actions that are silent. We need to be active and stand up for Israel. This is the moment to let our voices be heard. So this is important. God's reputation is here. Moses knew that. Moses said in Exodus 32 when God was at a place of abandoning, if you will, not going with Israel. Moses intervenes and he says this to God. Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against your people? Which you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak? And say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swear by your own self. You said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. If it was true in that day that God's reputation was on the line with the nation of Israel, And that the downfall of Israel could be spoken of in a negative way about the glory of God's name. And Moses was able to affect God through intercessory prayer. Then why can the church not affect God in regards to intercessory prayer for the nation of Israel today? Knowing that his reputation is on the line. But but I would say that most Christians do not know that. And I'm not saying this of you. But I'm just saying in our society today, it is an extremely biblically illiterate Christian society. And we don't know our Bibles. Perhaps it's been news for you. Just out of one chapter in Isaiah, we have learned that God is the king of Israel. That God is the redeemer of Israel. That God is the creator of Israel. That God is the one who formed Israel. That God has promised sovereign and divine protection of Israel in the midst of all of her conflicts. And God will forgive her sins and her iniquities and give her a land forever. If if we know that, how greatly does that arm us when we petition God for Israel? But if we don't know that, then how influenced are we by the media and by the voice of people who are led particularly by their emotions and their reasonings? And we have very little power before God. We need to pray with the power that he gives us. And his word gives us power to prevail because we can pray his will. And when we pray his will, we know that he hears. That's why I want us to pray tonight in the altar when we conclude. There is not a new doctrine going around. It is a very old doctrine. But oftentimes in moments like this, it, it gets revived. 
breath is breathed back into it and it seems to get some traction and take some ground and it's called replacement theology. The, the church is going to take over the promises of Israel because God has rejected Israel and cast Israel away. And though God has put Israel off, it is for a time and for a moment and not forever. It's in order to bring the Gentiles in. And if the Gentiles have experienced such glory by the putting away of Israel, Paul says, try to imagine the glory that will come when Israel is restored. Because she will be restored in the intention that God had through Abraham in the first place. More than just a peculiar people, but a people who had blessed the entire world. We will know that blessing. Earth will know that blessing through Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ. The representatives of God throughout history with Israel have not represented God's promises. Or God's desire for the nations. But Jesus will. And he showed us that while he was here. If the church is to replace Israel, you would have to tear out multiple pages of your Bible and discard them. If the church is to replace Israel, then you would not recognize some of the most amazing and irrefutable miracles and wonders of God in our world today. Even right now, if you're paying attention, the, 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 the Jews and, and Israeli soldiers are announcing almost every day incredible, unexplainable miracles that they are witnessing in their, their conflict right now in the Middle East with Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran. There is a record of miracles that only God could do the types of things that they are experiencing. It's worth your while to go look it up. It's worth your while to hear about it. It will increase your faith. Don't take this lightly. It it can do wonders for your Christian life. It did wonders for Rahab. She didn't have social media and stuff like that, but somehow she got word of what this God of Israel was doing to Egypt and the Red Sea and all of the nations of the wilderness. And when she got a hold of the spies, she said, we are terrified of your God. We know that he's coming. I want to be on the right side with him. And I don't want to die when you come in and take this land. She was excited about their God and wanted to belong to him. And if, and if you would stir yourself up to try to see the hand of God today, it would inspire your faith to be glad that you're a Christian. Because it's tremendous what God is doing. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah gives a prophecy and he says that there's coming a day when God says, there's coming a day I will no longer be remembered as the God who brought you out of Egypt, but the God who brought you out of the north. And if you go up to the north from the north of Israel, you go up into Europe and you go up into Germany and you go up into Russia and you see, even like in Ezekiel with the valley of the dry bones, What Ezekiel's looking at is he's looking at the furnaces of the Holocaust. He's looking at how millions and millions of Jews were burned in these ovens. And they were thrown into mass graves. And Ezekiel said, I see a valley of dry bones. Not just bones, but dried bones. They have been through a furnace. They have been destroyed. It's like the whole nation is dead. And it's so despairing. But the Holy Spirit says, can they live? And Ezekiel says, you know. And the Holy Spirit says, prophesy. 
And he prophesied. And these dead bones became alive. And they stood up as a nation. And God said to Ezekiel, take two sticks and put them into one hand. Because when I bring them back from the north, it's going to be so great, so mighty, so powerful. It will overshadow everything I did when I brought them out of Egypt. But we have been so conditioned to know our history from our educational system and our news media that we're not getting God's story because they're not telling you that. And when Israel became a nation, it was not Israel and Judah. It was Israel, one nation, undivided, the true undivided nation, because God has joined it together to be inseparable. We miss these miracles if we think that Israel is irrelevant today. And I don't want you to miss them, and I don't want you to think that. So I'm going to go through some of this rather quickly, but I want you to understand something. It would be the epic failure of God. For according to God in Isaiah, he proclaims himself as the mighty redeeming God of Israel, her king. And for him to not be able to redeem Israel would be epic failure. Little do people know the incredible damage they are doing. And the damage that is done to God's integrity and God's word. When we regard Israel as an insignificant thing in in the future of mankind and God's plans. This growing anti-Semitism and the gross misunderstanding of scripture has given way to a growing number of people to dislodge their belief in this nation that has been raised up by God and preserved these thousands of years by God alone. The only explanation of their survival is God I read this to you from Jeremiah 31. Thus saith the Lord, which gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divides the sea and the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, the sun, the moon, the tides, if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, Then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and it's an ever-expanding heaven. If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord And the whole valley shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down anymore forever. Now, if God's, listen to me. If God's forever promise to Israel does not mean forever. Then how can you be sure that your forever life in eternity with God really means forever? If it doesn't mean forever for them, then it doesn't mean forever for us. And to take Israel out of God's plan and to put the church in its place tells me that you do not guarantee any longer eternal life with God for me. Therefore, I cannot allow or see through the scriptures the replacement of Israel. As a matter of fact, if I can, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus this question in verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They understood that the kingdom of God had to involve the kingdom of Israel. They asked and said three things. The kingdom would be restored to Israel, which Jesus never denied. They also recognized that the kingdom up to this point had not been established and would be in the future. And also that Jesus, not the church, would be the one who restores the kingdom. It's interesting. So I want to, I want to give you just a few things. And this is why I believe in the covenant of Israel and her relationship with God being eternal. If the relationship with Israel is not eternal, then what becomes of the Davidic covenant that God made with Israel's greatest king, David? I read these verses to you. You can write them down. Psalm 89, 1 Kings 11. These two passages say this. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. And his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Your seed will I establish forever. And build up your throne to all generations. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established. My arm also shall strengthen him. His seed also will I make to endure forever as the throne of And his throne is the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and not walk in my judgments. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments. I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him. Nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break. I will not alter this thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem. The city which I have chosen me to put my name there. Jesus most definitely considered himself to be the fulfillment of this covenant. Jesus definitely, without dispute, considered himself to be the one who was the seed of David and the heir of that throne and that kingdom that would not end. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 22, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father has appointed unto me. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Jesus' mind, he was that rightful heir of that Israeli kingdom. Sitting upon the throne of David. What about the promise to the 12 apostles judging the 12 tribes? What good of a promise is that if the 12 tribes are not going to exist? Or they're not going to be in God's plans or the nation has been cast off for God? 
This is specifically mentioning Israel, for it denotes the 12 tribes. Jesus said in Matthew 19 to the apostles, Verily I say unto you that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That tells me there's a future for Israel. One other is that what becomes of the specific, repeated, unconditional promises God made to restore Israel to the land of her fathers. I quickly read this out of Second Samuel 7. And what one nation in the earth is like your people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for your land before your people, which you redeemed to you from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For you have confirmed to yourself, your people Israel, to be a people unto you forever. And you, Lord, are become their God. Not just king, but now their God. What about the eternal city? What about the foundations of this eternal city? What good, what a mockery would it be if the eternal city of God had within its foundations the name of an exiled nation that God could not redeem and God could not convert? It would be forever an eternal mockery to God's name that he was unable to do it. But instead, John saw that city. And John said, this is what he saw. In Revelation 21, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone. It was clear as crystal. It had a wall that was great and high, had 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels, the names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east, three gates, the north, three gates, south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The gates are the names of the tribes, and the foundations are the names of the apostles. It speaks of God's fulfillment of all of his promises and his power to redeem us. And the last one I conclude with is if Israel doesn't continue forever, then what people in what country would the Messiah be able to fulfill the covenant promises with? Jeremiah 33, thus says the Lord, as I read it earlier, I read it again. If you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, that there should not be day and night in their season. Then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign on his throne. And with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. So will I multiply the seed of David, my servant. This is very important. And the Levites that minister unto me. And beloved, if you know your word. We are priests unto God, but we are not Levites. And if you know your word, Jesus Christ is the son of God and he is the great high priest, but he is not a Levite. He was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know what this tells me? 
Not only will the church continue forever as ministers and priests unto God, but the nation of Israel and the tribe of the Levites will also continue as the priest of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And if you doubt that, and if you claim to believe something else, I'll just give you this simple challenge that God gave us. Tomorrow, before the sun rises, go stop it. Go hold back the tide. Go rebuke the moon. Because God says, if you can do that, and none of you can, then you could break my covenant with Israel. But you can't do it, and I will not break it. I have spoken it. I love what God says. I will not lie to David. Because God didn't lie to David, he doesn't lie to us, and we can take him at his word. And whatever goes on today, whatever confusion there may be in this world and in Christianity and politics, go to your word. Listen to this again. Listen to it again and again and again. Get the scriptures. Write them down. Study the word yourself. Know these things to be true. Don't just casually and passively read through them. Denote the meanings of them. When God says, I am the king of Israel, what does that mean? And let it resound within your spirit so your faith can be solid and strong. And you don't have to waver or be tossed by what things are going on around us. Every wind of doctrine that's blowing like hurricanes right now. You can be stable and you can be set. And you can be postured in such a way that you're instrumental for the kingdom of God. And for the move of the Holy Spirit in the earth at this moment. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to ask you if you will. To just begin to gather in this altar with me to pray for Israel tonight. To pray. And you've been given, if you will, ammunition. Not that you have to fire it at God. But you've been given the means of faith, if you will, to pray. Because you're praying God's heart. You're praying for God's name. You're praying for God's glory. The hatred of the Jews is because... They hate our God. Jesus was Jewish. We need to pray for the heart of this world to change. I realize that we could be living in the last days, but it's not, it's not to give up. It's to work harder. It's to run faster. It's to preach the gospel more. The hearts of men are ready. They seem hard. They seem mean. They seem fearful. But they even tell you they're snowflakes. These bold, brash people, they need places of safety and on their college campuses. I need a safe space. They're not as hard as you think. Their, their meanness is thin. Their boldness is thin. They're mighty in a crowd. But they're falling apart by themselves. While you're praying, ask the Lord to give you engagements with lost people. To share the gospel with them in our communities. For we don't want to overlook our own country that needs prayer so desperately. And I pray that you recognize how much we need to pray for our nation to stand with.